Yeah. American Sublime, episode 14. Welcome. Welcome. This is going to be a variety show. Yeah, loose one. Coffee we, table discussion. A lot has been going on. <laughs> it's the holidays. We are taking a break from our grueling schedule of trying to hit a book a week. Uh, and we wanted to just... Though we could have done it. We could have done it. Actually, this one was this was the one that was like an easy putt. Yeah, we, we... You know, I thought that it was a 400-page book, but turns out it's only 200 pages. Right. The book you're talking about is The Labyrinth of Solitude by Octavio Paz. Yeah, it's really... It, it, it could have been done if I wasn't just so into these other books that I'm reading for sort of a study on my own book that I'm writing, which is why I'm reading all these books. Right. Not War and Peace, but I'm, re- I'm reading War and Peace so Kai can't keep calling me a little bitch. <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta put him in, I gotta put him in his literary place you know seriously but you know the thing about Kai you go to a bookstore with him yeah which you didn't have the experience of maybe next time <clears throat> you go down an aisle and he's like he pulls books out have you read this no you should read it have you read this and yeah I'm nice, like, nice, man nice. this guy's read a lot of books yeah he's uh, a well read heathen he is so, yeah, what did he? He did War and Peace so fast. He did, did he? do it fast. He said, you know, he he's like, oh, it took me four months. But between the time that he told us, oh, I have yeah, no, he, 150 he pages left, and finishing it, it was like a day. Well, he loved the book, so it was easier to yeah. It's easier to trek through a mountain book, mountainous book like that. I mean, I read, uh, you know, Dostoevsky. Brothers Karamazov, uh-huh. which is nine hundred pages, pretty quickly. Yep, because I loved it, and yeah. I read uh, that book Napoleon. Yeah, which is also nine hundred and some pages. I mean, that's War and Peace. I think is in, is what thirteen fifty something about that. It's pretty big. It's, I think only is there a longer novel? There's Anne Rand's. Oh, uh, I don't know. Maybe in terms of, of word count, I, I I really don't know. It's not so much that it's, is there a longer novel? I mean, I'm sure there are longer novels. It's just that it's this, it's a huge magisterial Everest type novel. Yeah, but saying you've read War and Peace is a flex. It's always been one of those benchmark yeah. flex. It's like, uh, I lifted, uh, you know, I benched up. It can go a little too far, though. I I met a guy... At a bar one time. Well, I didn't meet him directly. I just I met him indirectly. Okay, yeah. He was in the in the group that I was in, and he introduced everyone to his dog Tolstoy, and I was like, "No, <laughs> it's too much." <laughs> that guy. <laughs> that guy wears, uh, wears pea coats and one spectacle glasses. One oh, <laughs> of those or uh, or not oracles. Monocles. Monocles. He wears a monocle. <laughs> this is my dog, Tolstoy. And he reads Proust in public. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the same guy. The same guy who names his dog Tolstoy reads Proust in public. Yeah. He's yeah. so deep, man. So He deep. contemplates Nietzsche in the midnight hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's funny. Well, 
I see your friendship with this Tolstoy naming, Tolstoy dog naming man didn't last. No, no, I, I, uh, I saw him there, and he he said he had a dog named Tolstoy, and I was like, you know, God bless you, carry on. I'm we aren't going to be friends. I already know. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just like it's a it's a, it's a beacon of pretense. It's just. I don't. I can't even articulate what exactly it is in the moment, but my intuition, and if I thought about this, it would come to me. It'll probably come to me, actually, in the next 45 minutes. If, but uh, my intuition is that it's like... Okay, it, it's like this. It's like people who want to name their children really wacko names. You know? Like North... Or yeah, like North, or or like Magnolia, or I don't know. Like if you named your child Kafka, ooh, like setting that kid up for a world of hurt. Well, what what you're doing is you're treating them as a, you're making their existence, their name, be a sign that points back to you in a really overt manner, right? Which is kind of like robbing them of their own... Agency. Yeah, their own identity. It's like <clears throat> they exist for you in, right. a, in a way that is a little bit grotesque. Rather than if you just gave them like a, a name that was less literarily radioactively charged, then uh, you wouldn't be calling so much attention to yourself. But by naming your dog Tolstoy, you know... You're like, I've read War and Peace. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it was just. Maybe you happiness. just loved Haji Murat. <clears throat> it would be funny if the guy never yeah. read Tolstoy. But I feel like if you're gonna name something close to you Tolstoy, no, you the guy have read. had like perfect Coke bottle glasses. Like he'd read Tolstoy. I pay, I have an image. Yeah, I have an image of uh, like Leon Trotsky in my mind. Yes, you know, of, of, a, of a real Trotsky. Yeah, Trotsky type. I'm Tr- a good Trotsky socialist. Type. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah let me write a book on fascism. This is what fascism. Is. Yeah, let me hide in Mexico. Mexico. And apparently, he got killed with a saw. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Stalin, Don't quote me on it. Stalin, no matter. You didn't mess around. Stalin was like five foot three. I miss this actually about Mexico that it was. It seems in the past everybody used to just go to Mexico and just live. It was like this exotic locale. Everything from Kerouac's writing about Mexico makes it seem as though it's sort of California, but still with it's like dirt an roads. extension. Yeah. It's sort of what it felt like. You know, it's hot and there's an ocean and, it's, and it's, the ocean's very blue, and but. It's dusty, and it's yeah. it's not modern California palm trees. Well, it's not know, the Mexico of now where it seems like in certain areas it's just very dangerous. It's T- not. Towards the border. Yeah, yeah. Towards the border. That's where all the business is. Yes. All that good old trafficking mm-hmm. that our government is so, so hell-bent on making sure it continues to exist. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's hell. What they're doing <coughs> to these people, what they're doing to us. But yeah, trafficking drugs, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. so it's all on the border. All that business, all all that hive business is at yeah. uh, it's at uh, Ciudad Juarez, Juarez, right, 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 Juarez right. City. 
places like that, which, you know, it's you... It's like a pirate city, you know? It, it's bad. Yeah. You know? It's kind of like Canada being on the border with Detroit almost. Right. Almost. I mean, but not really. But right. if you've ever gone through the border, border patrol into Canada... Uh, out of Michigan, I've done this. I haven't. I've had to do this. I've actually they, never been to Canada. They uh, will never be able to go now either. Right? No, I'm not. I'm not uh, vaxxed. Right? Oh, you just told everybody. I know. I know. You got clean blood, son. Um, <laughs> no, um, but that one. I remember. I went. I went through that with my buddy Joe years ago. They took everything out of our car. They really? treated us like criminals. In Canada, on the way into Canada. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Coming in the U.S., they don't give a shit. They're like, oh, if you got, which is ironic, right? You know, nobody gives Canada a hard time for how much of a hard time it can be to go into Canada. Right. But coming back, it's no problem. Right. But it's because that you're on that border with Detroit-ish. Mm-hmm. They know Detroit's a huge drug port. Yeah. They don't, you know, a, a drug mecca. They don't want that to be. A trafficking route. I get it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that was a long time ago. It's probably way worse. First time I went into Mexico, uh, I was only, what, I was like 15. What was my mom, brother? To the home, homeland. Yeah, to the homeland. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was visiting my mom's side of the family. And... Um, I didn't have a passport at the time, actually. I didn't have a passport till I was 18, and I went to Israel. Uh, but, yeah, I was surprised that we didn't have, like, any... We didn't have to produce any documentation to right. get in or out. And actually, my dad told me a story uh, once about how he had a, a business for a little while when he lived in Houston, Texas, where he would teach Mexicans how to say that they were an American. That they weren't? They were. They were. Because he said that in those days, you could cross the border. You didn't need a passport to cross the border as long as you could say, I'm an American, in the way that an American says it. So if you could say it with the American English lilt... An accent. Yo soy americano. <laughs> yeah, no, you couldn't get you couldn't get away with that. But if you could say I'm an American, you could get across the border no problem. And so he he taught people. He helped them get their paper. He had this whole thing because he hated Texas. He was like, I'm gonna figure out how to bring more illegals into Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Why did he hate Texas? Oh, he had his reasons. I'll tell you some. Oh, uh, your dad was a character. Yeah, he was a, a loose cannon of a yeah. man. Yeah, he he was actually against the wall because he said the wall is not meant to keep people out. It's meant to keep us in. That's why they want to build this wall. So he was, he, even though he was not into illegal immigration, he was still against the wall. Oh, so he had changed by the time that that had come around. No, no. I mean, this was this was before Donald Trump. This was like 2003. They've been talking about a wall forever, you know. But uh, hmm. yeah, no. I'll tell you. Sto- I got stories, but stories. I can't. I can't. We'll do I can't tell them on air. Yeah, we could do them on air <laughs> some other time, though. Just talk about your dad. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, it's funny. We've been we're, we we weaved into Mexico, and we we read a little bit this week about you know 
Octavio Paz. Yes. I didn't read this whole book, Labyrinth of Solitude, but you did. No, I didn't. You read the, the, the actual I've, Labyrinth, though, the 200 page, pages of essays, I thought. No, no, no. I've read, I've read the first 100 pages. So, oh, okay. So, yeah, you read uh, that essay, Mexican Mass. Yes. Yeah. That's, uh, I didn't bring the book, though, so I don't remember. Yeah, that's all right. right. I've got it right here, but it's, yeah. uh, I found that to be interesting. And really, it's just a bleed-through from his essay, the previous one, the Pachuco, mm-hmm. and other extremes. He seems to cast the, the Mexican. You know, we're not going to do a dive, a deep dive on all these books. We're just yeah, talking, we'll do it later. We'll bring... We'll, uh, but, but he does seem to cast the Mexican while we're talking about Mexico. Yeah. As a sort of a almost mystical figure that's... that's uh, Locked into form, he says. Locked into form. He says that in Mexican Mass. The Mexican's locked into form, like mm-hmm. poetic form almost, like structure. Yeah. But is ho- like spiritually homeless. True. So, in they're this not country, Europeans. They're, they're not, not even Americans, really. Right. No, when they're in North America, they're, they... Because they the work real to Americans be, are United States Americans. But they work to be... Right. Well, in North America, yeah. he talks about in the first essay on the Pachuco, yeah. the, those Southern California Mexicans, they worked not to be Americans, but they also worked against being Mexicans. So they were, so there's a, this, uh, um, uh, what's the, pur- purgatory, spiritual purgatory that they're in. Right. Then that's where the Mexican of North America sort of is. Yeah, like a national purgatory kind a of. A national purgatory. Because there's all sorts of things that are conflicting. And I thought that that was interesting. Because, we, you know, we talk about I- identity a lot, just in general. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I think a lot of North American people, North American men are kind of going through the, the, their own sort of spiritual and identity purgatory. Interesting. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, <clears throat> I think, you know, at least on, on cultural paper... I remember from my childhood, I'm sure you're old enough to remember from your childhood, that there was this, uh, at least this idea of a civic culture. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember growing up, my parents had friends who were Democrats, Republicans. They all broke bread together. They all had fun together. And uh, because at the end of the day, they understood that they were some sort of an American united by their traditions, their holidays, their, you know, Fourth of July and uh, uh, Thanksgiving and, you know, Christmas and the things that you just... You no, know, those are the holidays, but they're right. but just sort of united by this general identity. Right. That no matter your political party, you were still attached to that. Right. And uh, you're still an American. You still under, you had, you had an understanding what that means, and I think as, as we've gone on, like what Paz is saying about the Mexican, I think the American is now in this position where they, you know, there's really no American. There's just this idea. There's no real sense of home or things to to hold on to, and sort of we've had an uplifting of our traditions and our stat. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Our, our uh, yeah. I was gonna say statues, but like that's a, that's a literal thing. But we've had an uprooting of our cultural traditions, so that now, especially young people, are like, I'm just a person who's surrounded in an aura of ideas. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that's a really interesting. Take. It's very true because you can't say, well, an American is this race or an American is a person who speaks this language 
or um, an American is a person who has this religion, uh, or even an American is a person who embraces this interpretation of of uh, American polity or the Constitution or whatever. Like because all of these things have been attacked and disconnected from any kind of identity that you might say, oh, well, I'm an American. Like, now, I guess maybe the last thing that still exists for what being an American is is, like, your attitude toward work, maybe. That was something... Like, industriousness. Yeah, any European professor or anything I yeah. have say, that's one thing I noticed about you Americans was your, your work ethic's really insane. Yeah, like, we're always thinking about how can I make money? Or what is the monetary aspect of whatever? We're just like, I need to work. Even people who aren't necessarily devoted to money, but are devoted to their passion and their career. It's like, I need to get, I need to do that. Right. Uh, Even, I think that's changing too. Or like even monetize your passion. True. Uh, This is a, this is cultural shift. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, there's, it's it's been a project, I think. But, you know, it seems a little unfair, I would say, to be a country where you're just supposed to be an idea, you know, but Spain... But there isn't an idea anymore. There isn't even an idea, but right. but even, let's just say it's an idea, but you're sure. not actually a, a place, a, a, str- a home right. Right. for people, you know, India, yeah. uh, Spain, like I was saying, um, Costa Rica. Right. Whatever these countries are like, their identities are aligned typically to their national origin, right? And they're they're just sort of the default. It's the default. If you go to Spain, if I go to Madrid and I, you know, the Spanish, yeah, or like I'm, I'm Spanish by way of Spain and by way of our traditions and the siesta, fiesta, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You come to America and it's like, well, what is an American? It depends. If you go to Chicago. If you go to North Western North Carolina, right? If you go to New England, all the, these people are as different from each other as Spaniards and people who live in Chad, Africa. You yeah, know, it's like it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And so uh, we're struggling with that. Well, there have okay. So there are a number of that's this is a big conversation that I've been seeing on Twitter actually for a while. Um, one aspect of it. And this is a little bit, I'll use the word again, radioactive, is the ethnic aspect where people are now recognizing that, okay, well, you have all these different ethnicities, and you could call them races too, in this geographical area. And there are all of these things that we used to hold as being markers of our identity things that defined us that have been destroyed or dismantled and they just lie in ruins um, or in rubble, you know, around us. And so how do we reformulate an, an identity in this space? And so people are talking about the idea of uh, an ethnogenesis. So like a new ethnicity that will emerge from... I'll be bold enough to call it the American melting pot. And I think that this is probably a, this is a large possibility that there will be some kind of ethnogenesis where some kind of, uh, 
ethnic mixture will become predominant. Will that be like mixed race kids? Yeah, but it's going to be like a consistent yeah. mix that becomes the majority. I think that, and that may be the the ethnogenesis of the new Americans of the new millennium or something like that. I don't know. I, I really have no strong opinions on it, but I've just been observing that this conversation exists about around the question of another. I, it's either going to be that, or, or you've got really you have right now you have not unlike an African state or an African uh, country, because mm-hmm. I'll I, not to use the word nation with country. Obviously, you have countries in Africa. Mozambique, for example, has many nations, I believe, within a country. Right. Nations. And I think that there's also the other pull towards now this country is, you know, geographically balkanized, but but also just from your rural I mean, even just a thirty minute drive, you've got a totally different population on your in your in your society from here. Right. And so you've got like almost thousands of nations in this country. Yeah. And people are, are there's yeah, that might happen, but also there's going to be large swaths of people just sort of retreating. Sure, yeah, and there's the, even the idea America's of, done that. Oh yeah. Yeah, even with COVID, how there's been this inhalation of people from the coast. I've mentioned that before. But there's also I think a going to be a reverse migration. And I'm sure that like I'm I'm What's that mean? To Mexico? We're going. I, yeah, are we going to Mexico? <laughs> Guadalajara, baby. I've always wanted to go. Have you been there? No, I will get no, there. no. I've, <laughs> only, I've only been to northern Mexico. No, um, I think, and actually, this is in this has been showing up in the laws of various European countries lately, where they're making it easier for the descendants of certain European countries to either get passports or to come back if they want to. Uh, I think Ireland was doing this a little bit. Um, hmm. Germany, uh, of course, has their um, citizenship program for children of uh, descendants of people who died in the Holocaust. Um, what else? Portugal. I was just thinking of Nick Mullen Nick Mullins skit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Portugal has some things. With Steve, uh, <clears throat> what's his name? <laughs> Spain, Spain, uh, with their expulsions of the Jews, has has made some things uh, available to Jewish descendants. Portugal has just made citizenship available to anyone who can prove a their lineage is. Is connected to Portugal. Like my point is, the laws exist in a number of places, and I think it's only going to increase um, as you have all this, like this amazing amount of migration, where you have a lot of Africans going up into Europe, and then you have a lot of people discussing, like, what does this do to the basically, well, like the indigenous Europeans? You know, how does this change the culture for them, um, and then a number of other things. But, uh, yeah, counter or reverse migration. Portugal's having that problem with Californians. Right. Yeah, because they're just coming like crazy. It's an, ec- it's an economic. It's an economic. Uh, it's an economic issue of the other caliber for them because they're coming there with California money. Right. And they're just pissing it artificially but into the. I'm sure a lot of these people have been 
fired recently <laughs> and, and will continue to be being fired because the tech industry is realizing that it is totally bloated. It's happening everywhere. I think yeah. Facebook's doing it, Meta. Yeah. And, uh, no, I've seen actually a number of other ones. Stripe. Um, These people have gone away with too much for too long. Yeah. Yeah, the the the, the product mommy role is uh, just, reaching its end. It was the tech welfare, you know. Yeah. These people were just doing nothing really. Right. Or they were doing fluff work, HR, you know, HR department stuff and Yeah. Which is whatever. I mean, to a point you need some of human resources and whatnot, but like some of these people were just they had so much money coming in. They're like, well, let's just hire it, and it'll be tax breaks or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they hired all these people, and it's just like the company seems to be functioning just fine without like two-thirds of their workforce. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so not there. I sent you a... Uh, do you, Wait, do you want to say a couple more things about no, Pause? No, well, it was just... Uh, I, thought it, I just thought it was really interesting that, that Pause is really hung up. On this idea that Mexicans don't really have an identity, that they're that you're constantly, they're at war with their machismo. They're they're in sort of a crisis with uh, keeping their idea of the woman pure. Mm-hmm. Um, but they come up, they run up against it because in doing that, they have to sort of break their other rules. So they're. The things that they are working out inside of themselves, or like the men, especially yeah, Mexican yeah, men, yeah. are always conflicting, mm-hmm. and uh, and that ultimately, you know, in his mind, leads them to just kind of being like this floating thing, this cloud spirit of a people, which uh, which is interesting, and it's an interesting thought because to, just to go back to migration and what you were talking about, yeah. I don't think that there's really a better group of immigrants, especially from Central America and and further south. But the Mexicans, the Mexican migrants to America have done probably the best. I don't, I don't want to say done the best job, but I don't want to. I don't want to piss anybody off. But they've done. They've certainly worked. A lot of them have worked really hard at assimilate, yeah, assimilation. Yeah. To whatever the American idea is. Right. And uh, but it almost looks funny, and I don't I don't mean that in like a defensive way. But it almost looks funny for me. A lot of the Mexican working class, Mexican blue collar Mexican. I'm like I'll say to my father, I'll be like, oh yeah, I saw you know I saw these Mexican guys today. They look like you. <laughs> they wear trucker hats and drive pickup trucks. You know, and they, they, it's like their idea of becoming American became yeah, yeah. like really American. You know, they yeah. put, they put American flags on a lot of stuff. And yeah, they wear cowboy. They almost become like your. You're like goofy rural conservative. Like it's hilarious. And now, so, some of them, I'm not saying you know not yeah. all of them, but you see that and you're like, it's like they really just went for it, you know? Because fuck it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's this book about Steve Bannon. Uh oh. Uh oh. You said his name. I said his name. <laughs> um, There's a book about him. Yeah, it's called The War for Eternity. I think it's by a guy named. Benjamin Tiedelbaum. Yeah. This is quite a name. <laughs> I think that's his name. So, I know his last name is Tiedelbaum. Anyway. Um, yeah, that's a, that's the book. I read it. It was great. Uh, is it good? It's a cr- critical book. Yeah, it's critical, but it's... I mean, you, you spit out the bones. Um, but there's this interesting... 
Makes him look like Lennon. Line. On the cover. Does it, yeah, it's black and white, right? Steve Bannon is a Lennon figure. Maybe, you he, think? He, I don't know. Yeah, he for sure. I, I don't think like millions of people will die because of his ideas. No, well, um, no, that's <coughs> not what I mean. Yeah. But spiritually, but he is a descent. He, he's called himself a Leninist before. Really? Oh, yeah. Interesting. Because he understands power. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. I'm sorry. No, Go, no, no, no. Um, so... I was reading the book, and there are a lot of uh, conversations between Tietelbaum and Bannon in a number of places over the course of a couple of years, uh, maybe even like three years or so. And they're talking about traditionalism and certain traditionalist authors and, and concepts. And, and one of the things that Bannon said about um, people who live in the Americas south of the United States border is, and in particular, he was actually in this instance talking about the Brazilians. He loves Brazil. Yeah, he loves Brazil. He said that he thought that the Brazilians had certain metaphysical gifts for the Americans. And, And he went on to explain what that meant. And in so many words, it meant that modernism has had enough time. So when the ideas of modernism were introduced to America and then went into effect, it took them a while to uh, come to fruition and to start bearing essentially bad fruit. Um, But those same ideas, when they ended up in South America, they they only got there much later. So they actually haven't had enough time to completely break down um, the, still in Brazil, the Brazilian connection to religion or uh, Brazilian assumptions about about male-female relations or even male and female identity, or any number of these uh, traditional ways of viewing people in the world around you. So he, he uses Brazil as an example of a place that can like send people and ideas into America who are not corrupted by modernity to the same extent that Americans are corrupted by modernity, and they can in turn like... Infu- give basically a blood infusion to Ooh. the Americans. And that's quite interesting considering all these uh, conservative, more America first types who are marrying Latins. <laughs> They're true. kind of tapping into that uh, metaphysical gifts paradigm, I think. Yeah, well, there's a lot to unpack with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I knew that. I feel like I knew that about Bannon just because yeah. that's that's something he he's always on mm-hmm. on about is uh, he's always paying attention to, well, even to the, the romantic countries. The, the Mexicans they're they're predominantly Catholic. Mm-hmm. Like they still have this assumption that there is a God and you know I should be moral. I should have some kind of baseline of morality. Um, you know, I don't need to be convinced to be 
an ethical person. Like it's just inbuilt in my culture and all the things that have surrounded me that of course, yeah, yeah. there's a God. Of course I'm going to have a fear of this God. And I think that's act moral to my neighbor. That segment of the right is that's the conflict that they have is really with American liberalism and not and American liberals and not, uh, that's, I say that segment of the right, cause mm-hmm. there's all different, there's all different segments of all different, you know, of progressivism mm-hmm. and yeah. of, you know, the there are like part. 50 different genders 50 of, of political, political. Yeah. You've yeah. got the middle, the middle is just kind of like, well, which is a weird place to be on its own, but it's just, I don't even know what the middle looks like. Or right. Really, but, but let's just say that America first right is much more, I mean, there, you know, you had people like Blake Masters saying, you know, and Joe Kent who were saying they didn't want any more migration at all for the foreseeable future. That includes uh, legal, hmm. which um, isn't a view I subscribe to. Because I, I, don't know. I don't know what I think about that. Because it's in conflict with <laughs> economic nationalism and wages and wage growth for Americans. But what you have is what's rotting our, our culture. In a lot of it really is our native population. I, I don't say that as Native mm-hmm, Americans, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like like yeah, native, your classic not Elizabeth waspy, Warren, but like American American, yeah, but like the American um, even though that's Northeast, but the American liberalist you're idea, Protestant American, yeah, is what's sort of breaking society. We're not having children, we're not getting married, we're just sort of playing Peter Pan as mm-hmm. a, as a society mm-hmm. generationally, and there's something very real to saying. To the power, you know, structure Chuck Schumer said recently, right? He said, uh, we got to bring people in because the Americans aren't reproducing. It's like, well, we should figure out to, how to make the economic conditions correct for Americans. But it's more than that. It's right. a spiritual condition that's mm-hmm, sick. Mm-hmm. People need to want to do those things. People could still do them. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to necessarily, what you know, bring in other people to bring your no. population up. Or I'm not a growth for the sake of growth guy. Mm-hmm. I think like, hey... When your population is seen as cap, mm-hmm. learn how to keep it capped. Make sure it reproduces itself. Mm-hmm. I'm not a Malthusian. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in that psychotic shit. But yeah, like, yeah. but all right, we don't need to. We don't need to get the population of the United States to be 500 million, 600 million. We can keep it we're kind of where it is. Make sure people have a couple kids or whatever, mm-hmm. and they have families, and they keep the structure alive. Mm-hmm. We have the structure broken. And what Bannon's talking about with that is. There are people in these romantic countries. Um, Brazil is a romantic country. It's yeah, spiritually yeah. romantic. Yeah. That are um, going to bring some of that idea with them in their that suitcases. Spirit, yeah. And you know, and they're going to pack it with them. Yeah. And that's a good thing for this country. Yeah. It's not a you know that sort of shatters a lot of the racial realm. I know Brazil is a, is a whiter country in South America, but it's but it's um, not necessarily. I mean, a lot of the people you know, uh, Bolsonaro is pretty white. But Lula's not white. Sure. Oh, he's not? He's pretty... He, he looks, he pretty looks white Latino. To me. He looks really? Latino, though. Yeah. Um, but he's an older guy. Yeah. A lot of Latinos look white. I mean, look at yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, cool. I don't subscribe <laughs> to that term. I'm an American. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> but... You know I had to no, throw no, it No, no, I know you did. I know you're You know what I'm saying? Good. So, yeah. uh, but, you know, um, but there are, there are a lot of countries that could bring that that aren't white and that... That, that really disrupts the the white uh, nationalist. Uh, I, f- uh, I fully agree. Uh, narrative that a lot no, of people no, no. ascribe to a lot I mean, of those guys. I think that cutting off migration for the foreseeable future, full stop, hard cut, 
could be good. Um, it would force these other industries that rely on extremely cheap labor mm. to change their business practices and actually to make it lucrative for American natives to work there. Um, so you see what these you see what these like the view style liberals say about Latinos they're, what, they're what so they patronizing and insulting to the to what, people. they can't even get so an like, idea if you stop migration who's gonna like unclog your toilets oh my god you know shit like that's like that's what you think of these people you, yeah these are the, your toilet uncloggers these are, these are human beings <laughs> you know this you think that their dream is to to come here and serve you 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 like rich white lady you know what I mean or black lady or black lady. What's the the bourgeoisie has no uh, skin tone. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, she's on the View. Or um, yeah, yeah, yeah. what's the what's the CNN uh, woman there? The the, uh, the black bourgeoisie. That's what this. There's. A, they did have one good chick on <clears throat> recently. I don't know if she's a permanent uh, member of the panel. The, the view is like it's the, the gossip Supreme Court of the United States. It's the worst. But I'll never forget when Whoopi Goldberg was like, we need to end women's suffrage. Oh my gosh. Because they're in, they're in turmoil. Like she just thought it meant suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I probably mentioned it, that before. It's like, yeah, no. I was it's like, like you, you shouldn't have a microphone on the national stage. You just uh, No, that's when you just agree. You're like, you know what? I think you're right. We should end it. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. <laughs> so, because this is a variety show. Yeah. Why, why did it occur to you that you needed to purchase Chesterton's SEC, read it, in order to find out more about Stigmata? And also, what is Stigmata? I've always been fascinated by the idea of the stigmata. I don't know if I can define it, yeah. but it's at least my understanding is, you know, uh, the stigmata is the living um, living out Christ's, Christ's wounds beyond the metaphorical sense. So, the stigma, you know, somebody who is enduring the stigmata will, will bleed and feel, feel uh, the pain of the thorns. Around yeah. their, around the crown of their head, or um, will feel deep bruising and perhaps bleeding from where the nails are in the hands, um, but on almost on a, on a sudden, and spiritual excursion. Yeah. it's not because there's a nail in your hand. It's just because you're 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 channeling the wounds. That's what right. my idea of the stigmata is. Whether or not it's entirely myth- mythical experience or not, I mean, there have been people who have experienced the stigmata, supposedly, right. up through the 18th, 19th yeah. century. Apparently the word ha- means more or less shame, you know? It, it does. Yeah, to ha- so you, the stigmata is... Stigma, right? Yeah, you, it's, a, it's a shame, but the other sense of it is that it's a perpetual wound, it's a wound that's just there all the time, and it won't go away. It's, and that's the stigma. That's an instance of the stigma, or that's it, having stigma. It's been my understanding that someone like Assisi and these other people, a lot of them of the Catholic tradition, saints, and uh, you know, um, it's, it happens with women too. Yeah, 
is that they are of the tr- they're of the church. They're almost like um, they're almost people who are try not not of shame. Yeah, they're almost they're almost living translators for Christ Christ's experience. Right to keep his the violence that he endured sort of mm. fresh in people's minds. Yeah, yeah, I see that. To answer your question beyond that, why I chose to go to read this book and and to try and get a little information on this was the character. One of the characters I was writing, I just sort of the world that I'm describing, which is really uh, it's funny, it's 2027 America, so it's about five years from now. Yeah, we talk a lot about five years from now, things are yeah. going to look really weird, right? Yeah, because you know? <clears throat> of just where we're headed. Um, so you've got the fallen world. You've had the fallen world since whatever the Eden and the Apple, but you have this new sort of fallen world, the, the postmodern world, and uh, I just I, I've had I had to have this character that wasn't just bleak, but in order to make his experience bleak, he has to endure something as dark as the world around him. Yeah. So I st- I just came up with the idea to sort of uh, hint at it. Yeah. Hint that you know j- just drop metaphors in there that mm-hmm. you know the world he want wishes he wishes to build uh, his world by begging for stones. Yeah. And not bread, you know, and that's sort of the idea that Assisi had when he was establishing his his order. He wasn't begging for food; he was begging for literal rocks to build his his building. You yeah, know, yeah, his yeah. Friarship and yeah. So it just kind of came across, though, as I was writing it. I'm like, well, maybe this guy is sort of Assisi himself, you know, mm. in other words. Uh, or that someone who's clever enough to have read this and piece, know these details would be like, oh, he's getting, he's kind of referencing a, right. Assisi, a modest man, a man who loved nature as God's voice, not nature like William Blake loved it or sure. William Wordsworth, not a romantic. Yeah. But somebody who was really tender. And uh, tender in a world that wasn't. Mm. So that's what that's kind of why I went. With that. So let me ask you some, something. In your book, yeah, does the character who has this case or issue of stigmata ever become healed? Yeah, um, I haven't. I don't really know. I'm at a point in the story where I don't really know. He's not the main character. He's not the protagonist. Okay. Yeah, our protagonist isn't is unnamed. Mm-hmm. So the, he doesn't even have a name. I never give him one. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, he's going. He's going to die. I'm going to transfer protagonism, the protagonist role, to either this guy. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because because this guy this guy is so bad and he can't live. It's he's very, what, very Melville of you. He's, he's a tragic hero because yeah. because he's done things that he can't really he can't be redeemed for. Mm-hmm. Just, a lot of these guys are just beyond the scope. Yeah, of redemption. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm going to transfer it over to him or whatnot. Uh, I I don't know. I'm still sort of on the journey, you know. Um, Are you close to finishing it? Like I, I wrote six pages last night. Oh, dang! I hey, um, you and me both writing a lot last night. Two hundred eight pages in. I would say I'm two thirds in. Nice. But I. I'm at really the main point of conflict, and it's tough to write that part of a story like this. Okay. It's tough for me to write violence. Hmm. I don't really do that, because I, tr- I don't... 
this level of violence and, and just sort of uh, decay is tough. Yeah. And because I, t- I typically like to write of the world I know. Yeah. Thomas Wolfe, Hemingway, kind of, and just sort yeah. of. You know, you're in the cafes, you're at the yeah, bullfights. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's tough for me to say, well, no, people are getting stabbed in the neck, you know, and people are, people are getting, um, are committing mass suicides. And, yeah. Uh, there are, like, mass suicide events. and um, But then again, I'm like, well, this is kind of happening. Right. You know, we're kind of there. We're kinda, you know, with Canada's new... Like push for for people who are mentally ill to just kill themselves, or even like don't have enough money. Don't have enough money. You're poor. We yeah. have a solution. You know. We yeah, can, you can kill yourself. We can give you euthanasia. That is so crazy. No, but it's but it's where we're at. It's yeah. it's perfectly logical in the modern bouncy ball. It has, has led right. to the oh, if you can't make money, then why should you exist? We'll offer you a way out. The horrors of uh, it's worse capitalism. to be alive than to not be able to make some money. This is this is uh, yeah yeah right. That's what right. they're saying. Right, right. And then I think about my story, and I'm like, oh shit, this is the real world. Like we're just kind of here. I mean, we're in, that's at an uh, advanced stage of it where I'm writing, but the infants. If I don't finish this book soon, it's not even. It's going to pass. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh. yeah, 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 the, yeah. I was thinking about. I had that exact same thought last night because I've been working on a book of essays for about two years and there have been two pieces in it that I've just been putting off and putting off and I was telling you before we turned on the show that uh, you know I, I was telling myself oh, okay well I'll just read this book and this book will help me with this part of this final essay that I want to do and then you know I put it off again I'm like well I'll read that one it'll help me and and then I was watching this uh, Robert Eggers interview this week. And, you know, creativity is so many mind games so that you are playing with yourself. You're like at war with your own mind. <clears throat> but I was watching this Robert Eggers interview, and he is the director of uh, that movie that came out, The Lighthouse, with um, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. He also did one called The Witch, and he did... Another one that I watched recently, uh, The Northman, which was great. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, Anyway, you can tell that he's really working on this area of ideas in in myth, um, in Norse mythology, history, like... There's magic and shamanism in there. It's, It's very interesting stuff. And so anyway, I was wa- anyway I was watching this interview, and, and one of the lines that he said in it was, uh, "I he's recommending that people watch as many movies as they can, read as many books as they can, and and he says I always read until I have enough so that I can write, and then when I can't write anymore, then I start reading again." And I I realized I was like, you know what, that's that's the line that I needed. And so a few hours later, I sat down for probably three or four hours and I was just writing. Um, and I was able to finish almost the entire first of the two essays that I need to get done to be done with this book. Um, why did I bring that up? I we, were, we were talking about 
you you piggybacked off of me saying if I don't finish this thing, we're gonna oh yeah yeah so that's what I was pass it yeah know? and that was another thing that occurred to me as I as I was remembering you know that Tom Hanks line about uh, Forrest Gump too where they got the script after the towers fell on nine eleven like the next day or the day that the towers fell and when they got the script they were like we can't even film this anymore because that world just doesn't exist and so i was thinking about that for myself yesterday i was like i need to finish this book because if i don't finish it now that that world or or that perspective on the world that i had in that moment isn't going to exist anymore so it's not going to make sense to even write it it's like old songs that you intended to finish but you never finished mm-hmm. and by the time you you get around to it you're like well I don't even have those feelings anymore so why would I finish that song and it's not even to say that it won't be relevant it's not about relevancy true because you're trying to write something that's going to last right I won't say timeless because, but also to be know, cathartic to like be a release for you yeah and at some point you're going to be just like oh this has come to pass as a as a uh something in its time mm-hmm. you don't want to be sep- separated mentally or energetically from the beginning of the book right and say well I'm now i'm just trying to finish it yeah and it's just not really the feeling is past the cloud is, yeah. has left the eclipse you know and yeah well i'm trying to finish this while it's still 2022 yeah you are yeah that's coming down to it i know actually i think i'll be done this week actually What's your plan with it? What is your plan with uh, this book on uh, these jazz essays? Yeah, well, there are only two or three that are specifically about jazz. The title of the book is The Philosophy of Jazz Music and Other Essays. Okay. So it's, you know, it's like my collected blog posts, basically. Um, But the plan for the book is, uh, first, it's, it's to be a monument for myself I think Um, I just want to have a record of where I was at at a certain point in time Mm -hmm. and something to grow beyond or to kind of have in you know my my catalog like oh this is my early work I want to be able to point to something that was my early work as far as writing is concerned um, because I plan on writing a bit so, uh, I'm trying to get it out of my system too. Like over the years I've realized, what do you well, plan on writing a bit? What's going on? What, what else? Well, I have a, another book of essays planned. You're an essay man. You're a Christopher Hitchens man. No, no, I'm not an atheist. <laughs> no, no. What, what he was an, an essayist. He did. Yeah, no, I, I like, I, I really like the format of the essay. It's really, um, who's my favorite essayist it's uh the guy who locked himself in a tower and was a mayor um, Pete Buttigieg no <laughs> I cannot believe I'm forgetting his name he wrote in like the the 1600s uh it'll come to me if Bacon you... no even though I like his essays this yeah. is around the same time um it's not Montesquieu even though I like his book, but it's not really... Not Montaigne, the French. It's Montaigne, Montaigne. Really? I like him a lot. I read his essays while I was in Israel uh, in 2020. 
locked up, you know, because of COVID. And I'd been writing essays for a while and reading a lot of essays. And uh, it occurred to me that this was a form that you could really experiment with. It's true. Or that I could really experiment with. And, and I find it easy. Like, I would like to write a novel at some point. Um, and even a long poem. These are some, are some personal projects that I have. Uh, but I think the backbone, the spine of my work will always be probably the essay. Like, I just want to have, like, every five or ten years to do a collection of essays. Or, or rather, to compile them. Which is what I've seen with this. And I knew, I knew that I was going to do it when I was writing a lot of these essays and different pieces. I yeah. was like, you know, one of these days... I'm just going to compile these, and it's going to be a book, and I'll give it a name, and I don't know what it is. I yet. like the cover you had for it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think that was very you. Yeah, yeah it's an homage to this other guy, who I won't name, but uh, he has a cover that's kind of similar, and I stole it. But you won't name it. No, I don't want to name it. Every every good piece, everything's stolen. Everything is stolen. It's all homage. Actually, it's not all homage, but it should be. Like, you should be aware enough of your sources and your references to, like, pay... Tip the hat. Homage, yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. but And if you're not aware of who you're homaging, then you're probably not very good. It's very rare that we get a, a truly original anything. Yeah. Well, you're certainly not getting it now, but it has happened. We We get them every once in a while, you know? Yeah, I, I don't want to say who I think is an original of late. It's too radioactive. But Tessa. No. <laughs> no, Tru- no, no. Truly original of late, what, Kanye? No. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, I think Bronze Age mindset is pretty, oh. pretty original. <laughs> Come on, that's not, he's saying things that that have already been yeah said. I know it, it, it is basically a compilation it's like a narrative compilation of tweets but if enough people forget it does take on an original but I'll thing. tell you what is original about it is the spirit of it like the attitude of that book is very original even if what you he's don't think it's revival, partic- revivalist like uh, Re- like it is reviving in a way you know Nietzsche but um it, I think it is it is original because of its contextualization. It's I, it's bringing back like also the fact that it's uh, purposefully misspelled. It's like caveman speaking oh, area. I, like, I loved that. But I will say the funny bit was just imagining Mitt Romney as like a war. Yeah, guy. yeah. No one can ever get get over that. Because it was funny. Hilarious. Imagine if you will, Mitt Romney. Yeah. But instead of Mitt Romney, the you know the yeah. neoconservative, imagine him worthy of his looks. <laughs> it's funny. It's hilarious. It's a funny book. If yeah. nothing else, it's funny. Yeah, like anybody could laugh at that book no, if I re- they just I allow really, themselves to. I really want to do a review of it one of these days. I'd have, I to, to, I'd have to reread it. I, I, I want to reread it too. It's been about a year and a half. I would do it. I think we should. No, we should because it's actually of it's high current. cultural <clears throat> import, even for people who don't like who aren't aware of it i mean you it's so funny like even the cult that has emerged around the book like you'll see photos there is on, a cult yeah you'll see photos on twitter of 
of women in bikinis all over the planet reading this book or, or having posing it, with it. Posing with it. It's just hilarious. Or you'll have like a picture of Bronze Age mindset next to a pack of Marlboro Reds and a, a cappuccino in the morning in you know Italy. It's just hilarious. <clears throat> it is funny. Yeah. If nothing else. It's a funny. It's it's mocking where we're at, you know where the culture's at. It's it's laughing. It makes it you is, laugh at it. You have it's humor. I'm humorous, sure, joyful. I'm sure, there are people who take it very seriously, like like a, in opposition to it. You know? oh, of course. I'm sure that this is a dangerous book or whatever. Oh like, yeah, yeah. If, I don't know if people have read. Although I haven't seen much of that. I have seen sort of mainline journalists kind of take shots at it, but it almost playfully, which is strange. It's hard to... It's like Nietzsche. You can't really get under him. What, are you going to prove him wrong? Fi- tell me how. Find a way. Foucault famously said that he liked to... Gosh, I'm saying all the bad things in this broadcast. <laughs> he said he, he liked to see if he could sodomize other authors. Jeez. Yeah, this is what he said. But he said when he tried to do it to Nietzsche, it happened the other way around. <laughs> That's so funny. But to have, because this is a family show, and, you know, we want to be... <laughs> not anymore, it's not. Yeah, well, maybe this one will have a, a, Can't be a family an show. explicit rating. We're talking about adult literature. Uh, yeah, I know, stuff. I know, I know. But, okay, the, the more genteel way to talk about it is that he's trying to flip the other, these other authors over to try to get underneath them. Foucault. Yeah. But you can't get underneath Nietzsche. He's the one who gets underneath you. He flips you over, you know? And so, and I think it's the same way with BAP. You think these peasant 22-year-old journalists working at the New York Times or, you know, Associated Press? I don't think they touch it. No, they don't. They won't touch it because there's... Because they know that if someone reads it, that they're going to be like, oh, well, actually, this is true. They, the best thing to do with something like uh, Bronze Age Mindset is to just come radio silence it. Do, I don't, don't give it any press at all. Not even I, bad press. I don't know if I... I didn't... I didn't feel a connection to it like you did. Well, I'm I not think really it's there, because a lot of the ideas... you know? That's just not where I sit. No, I think it's because a lot of the ideas have already kind of like... It's clever. Filtered into the culture and into the, the alternative consciousness as far as politics is concerned. I feel concerned. like, you know, th- it's funny. Because in, in the punk scene and stuff, hardcore scene, you'd see, like, somebody with a shirt on, like, van sneakers of a certain... Yeah, if you've you'd you'd like, already been wearing that, you already know about no, no, Hot but, Topic but, but or something. Is, you're like... I'd go out in public, I'd see those people, and, you know, maybe asleep tattoos, I'd be like, what's up, dude? You like, you like hardcore, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah, it was yeah. like you had this nod. It's like when you met that guy and you... You were like, you ever read Bron Jay's mindset? And he's like, oh shit. It's like now you're, <laughs> exactly. you're initiating. Uh, yeah, there's yeah, an initiation yeah, yeah. to each other's yes. world. Well, like Kai. Oh, right. No, you're right. The guy, the guy said, How many times have you read Bron Jay's mindset? And he mindset? laughed and he was like, oh. He was like, okay, what about, uh, what is it, William P. Yaki? I, think I don't know any, any of these names, but. Anyway, he started bringing up some other bat signals, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. That's funny. And it's, uh, there's just certain things within the culture, uh, right or left, politically, whatever, just all over the place where it's like, oh man, you're into that? Yeah. Oh shit. And then you have this, like, 
your own corner of the room, you know, at this point. Well, it really is the new subculture. Like, subculture used to be music. Mm. There was a music subculture. And, you know, it had its aesthetic markings and its literary markings and all these other things. But now the, the subculture, the edge culture, is a political thing. Like, you know, you're not a punk, you're based, you know? <clears throat> Something like that. I guess. And I, I mean, name another subculture. Like, it's really hard. What, maybe, like, the Antifa It's people? also dangerous to... Yeah, no, because they're, they're still... Those people are still saying things that are safe. Yeah, them. they're like, saying... Exactly. They're saying the things that are safe. They're regime-approved subculture. Right, like, right, right. They're aping it, really. Um, which, you know, I have, I, I, I have acquaintances who are affiliated with the, those mo- movements. Same, yeah. I knew, I, and, yeah. and the thing is, they don't feel that way. Oh, they think because that they're they're edgelords or something. Well, they 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 feel like they're a resistance movement, right? But it's oh, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's very hard for people to shake the romantic proletarian struggle idea right. when, when uh, or to reassess it and say, "Man, we're we're actually working for we're actually doing the work for them yeah. for the regime. We're not actually." You know, in opposition, we might have to do some realignment. Work. It's really clever. It's very clever to just capture movements and just flop. Yeah, Kai always talks about Occupy, and I'm, I used to. I went through some of the Occupy, by uh, you know Wall Street um, events, and I, I reported on them. I wrote newspaper articles on them when I was in college. Yeah, and uh, Kai, I remember sort of this romantic, you know. There were Infowars people standing alongside people with Marxist tattoos, you know, and they were together, and they were they were together against the same thing, and it was authentic. But I remember the seeds of what is now here planted then, mm-hmm. uh, and seeing that sort of start to come to light then. It just needed some minor tweaking. You know, you had all these kids, you had all these young people that were mad at the banks, right. mad at the banking system. Right. And I remember, you know, my that was something my father was agreed with. You know, my father's a conservative Republican, and mm-hmm. and I was at the time, uh, you know, uh, more on the left side of things, yeah. of course. And and uh, I remember thinking, like, yeah, we we do we do agree on this stuff. Right. And I, I know for a fact now that that just doesn't even exist. You know, it, it, no better picture of modern protest movements really exists in my mind than when um, there was a. Black Lives Matter had gone over to CNN in some major city. Yeah. It was like banging on the windows and stuff. And I was like, yeah, all right. Oh, it was in Atlanta. It was in Atlanta. They were like trying to get CNN. CNN was like, we're playing with for your team. Why are you, right, 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 Why are right. you smashing out the corporate headquarters of all? We're on your side. Yeah, you know? I remember this. And I was like, if that works, you don't deserve to, ha- to have your movement succeed. Because right. Because those are the people chaining you. Right. You know, those are the... It's not the guy in the trailer. It just right. isn't him. Right. Um, but, and my point was that, you know, there was, there was at least... There was at least a sensibility that, that the rebellious nature of, uh, of the countercultures could run through much, you know, different, different avenues. Yeah. But still bind people to a common thread, right? Whereas now, I think that they've they've spent two decades working to capture, um, 
what's hip with young people, mm-hmm. like the progressive, uh, yeah, the progressive movements, right? And just capture them. Like, look at Bernie's campaign was just completely cut out from under him. They took his legs, yeah, yeah. and they captured it, appropriated yeah. what they thought would work, right? None of the ep- economic and populist elements, yeah, but just just the the appropriation of like, oh, we'll let like. Uh, like drag queen story hour, oh like, my be cool. No, but like you know, really, that's what they that's, they pay, they cherry picked. They didn't. They did nothing for labor, and they never will. But it's like they'll never do there, anything for the workers. Is there a large faction of people that are making that a voting issue? Drag yeah, queen I mean, story uh, hour? yeah, that's I crazy. mean, uh, because you merge it into an ideological fusion. But Bernie's platform, people forget, was never really centered on that kind of thing. It was an economic populism, right? And, and uh, there was a reason a lot of people on the right were like willing to vote for Bernie on economic populist measures. Right. People in the Rust Belt, people in Michigan, Western Upstate New York, um, the Midwest. Yeah, Bernie would have been president. I, I really believe that. Had he had, it he, would have been a really close race. I don't really know. Really close, and I think he he certainly stood a better but chance. I than actually Clinton. think that. If Bernie had been the candidate, that it would have forced the right to be way more serious. Like they would, like, and this is actually what I, what I want from a real, uh, like an accurate reflection of the political sentiments. Is if you, if you actually gave the socialist element in America a voice by reflecting who they want, you know, Bernie was winning in the primaries, so he should have been the candidate. If you let that message come into the fore, then it's going to have to be engaged. And other ideas are going to have to rise up to compete against the socialist ideas of Bernie. Whereas, because they just got rid of him and they had Hillary, those ideas were never combated out in the open. Well, they got rid of him and then pretended to wear his pants. True. And so what's, what's funny is like... Hillary Clinton's like, all right, I, t- I totally, we took this thing from him. Yeah, yeah. And the guy had rallies like Trump's. Yeah. And sometimes way bigger. I yeah. mean, his rallies were bringing thousands of people. Yeah. They took this thing from him and they said, all right, enough with all the fucking economic stuff. Yeah. Okay, you old bastard. Yeah. We're not giving these, the, the peasants. Yeah. An economic rung on the ladder. Right. But we'll give them. Or we'll, you know, or we'll give them some more of that cultural chaos. Yes. And uh, what that would have forced, but what you're saying is true. What it, what it would have forced the right to do is to actually give a shit about economic issues. Yeah. And to and come up with a counter platform. A counter platform, like someone like Blake Masters and JD Vance, sort of well, like to the float. economic populism that Bannon Econo- has been talking about. Right. It's the offshoot. It, it is a. It is in a lot of ways a socialistic leading yes, movement. Yeah. Um, which, which is fine, actually. It, like th- these are complex issues. There, there is probably a way to do some of this stuff because eventually when you come become so efficient other people ha- like you you have to tax the massive amount of efficiency so that the people who are put out of work because efficiency has made their economic or their uh their labor input irrelevant they still have to live it's not even just that i agree with that but, but the conservative traditional Republican Party message of like pretending to care about the civic culture of the country. Yeah. 
You don't have a civic culture if your people are drowning in debt. True. And they're drowning, and there's the students are drowning in debt. Yeah, it's something yeah. you and Kai talked about. You guys were actually for, to some degree, maybe Kai more so, but for a, a student student relief yeah to a degree yeah i was for it so much as so much as it wasn't a transferred payment mm-hmm. so much as the user the users had to cancel the debt not make the taxpayer shift and pay it but right but anyway but like but that's a, that's a fact right you you talk a lot about um the rites of passage yeah right a, tr- a, a real right or whatever our right is maybe the worst institute or the conservative Republican Party mm-hmm. is maybe the worst institution in the country in my right. opinion right because they they're constantly pretending to care about this stuff they have no solutions for actually getting people to start families okay yeah, you go yeah. through the rites of passage right you graduate yeah. high school you graduate college you you get married yes you, they pay lip service to that shit but you well, even recently, you didn't even you didn't go finish the rite of passage of college if your debt is twenty five years in front of you. Right, right, right. You're, you're good point. You're forever chained to your studenthood. Yes, and a lot of kids are saying that they're saying, "You expect us to have kids? You told us to go to college." A lot of these kids made that's a great take. That's a really good insight. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. they pretend, and, and in the meantime, we decline. Mm-hmm. So, well, what I was going to say is they also use it as a voting issue, as they used it recently, where before the midterms, Biden administration is promising, oh, we're going to wipe out X amount of dollars of debt for everybody who has this this amount of debt. And then after the election, like within three days or something, it's like federal judge has struck down. We knew that that. as unconstitutional, and they knew it. They knew that, but they they were just doing it to get votes. They they were doing it to get votes, but they were at least putting on the facade of rewarding their base. Right, like rewarding your base is very important. which uh, your base should be the entire country, realistically. If you're sure. if you're living in a decent society, if the opposition gets yeah. elected, it should be good for both people. It should be like, all right, we have to come under, yeah, whatever. You you know, we're on, we're we're with you, right? So long, you're steering the ship, right? I don't want to hit an iceberg, right? But it's like fifty percent of the country it's gets. Re- what it's they really want. crazy because one party gets control, and you're like, you know, that it's going to be. At the expense of people who may align with the other party. Absolutely. Yeah. That's where we're at. That's a, that's where we're at an elevated level, maybe unlike I, anything since the Civil War. Let's start winding it down. <laughs> what do you think of the Kanye controversy? Um, that's winding it down? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, dude. That's not winding. That's turning it up. We'll turn it what up a I little think? bit. We'll ramp up and then fall down. So really when you quick. came here, uh, I was listening to that video that Kai sent me about uh, Hotep Jesus. Yeah. Uh, you know who that is? Yeah. I don't follow so, him, I think but I know a who he is. Black guy with dreads. Yep. And, you know, <laughs> that's like a generalization. No, no, no but I that's, know who he is. I've, I don't know I've who he is. So this is who I, this is who, he sent me this video. He sent us this video. Yeah. He's playing it. And his take, there's so much to unpack. His take was, uh, Ye is trolling you. He's trolling people. I agree. And he trolled you with White Lives Matter, and it didn't 
he's talking to the conservatives. It didn't bother you when he was doing it then, but now you want to cancel him in the same way. People like Ben Shapiro and yeah. you know, sort of conservative Inc. wants to cancel Kanye in the same way that they're always talking about liberals doing to them. Yep. And it's just ironic. And this is kind of his point. And uh, so my my take on um, my take on Kanye is sort of uh, like with what he did the other day with Alex Jones and yeah. the, the Nazi stuff. And yeah, he's shattering. We talked about it being like the shattering of the Overton window. Mm-hmm. He's also saying he's also lifting the ceiling on speech. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he's saying like literally nothing's going to be off limits if you say this. Yeah, that's maybe the most unsayable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's whack. Like it's a whack thing to say. And a lot of people what, precisely what? Oh well, uh, I love Nazis or whatever. Oh, I love Hitler. Right? Oh, it's yeah, like yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like it's. You know he doesn't obviously believe that. Yeah. In any real sense, he might be trying to project a Christian. No, view. he's for sure trolling. He's trolling, or he's pro- he's trying to show I'm like a, a Christian aesthetic level. Yeah. My love is for everybody. My love says every. I have to love everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, even because Christ loved Hitler. Christ loved loved Pol Pot. Christ loved technically everybody, even though those people are, uh, you know maybe sentenced to damnation at this point but yeah. but the the, I, the real no christian idea. the real christian view is supposed to be i have to love you i have to love my enemy so i have to love right and um but to sum up and then to pass the torch to you because yes. i don't i don't really know what else well, it, i don't know either. but um yeah i think yay is really doing like the hell's angels kind of uh what the hell's angels do with the insignia and rolling yeah. into towns and small town California and like scaring shit out of people right. with, with their Nazi emblems and stuff. Yeah. Some of them were white supremacists, I think, but for the most part, they were just getting a rise out of people with that shit. And um, yeah, Ye is just like really stirring the pot, and I think he's bipolar too. I think he's he's dealing with the, a, a mental issue. I don't think he's in, insane like everybody's like he's just insane. We should drug him, but I think he's he is bipolar, is he not? I don't know. I just don't even align with with any of those like psychological categories that people try to put people in. I think it's again, you know, we've we've been talking about this off and on for a while now. It's kind of a an appropriate response to the world of the moment. So he, in a way, is probably the least psychotic person in America, or at least the West, who is engaging with these ideas because he's not just going along with the cultural faux pas that are that surround certain of these issues. I I think that in a way it is it's you know very distasteful and perhaps you know it's not delicate uh to just go out and say certain crazy things but we also have to recognize that we live in a highly contested space Mm. and that you know people have to fight with the gloves off in order to deal with evil and i think that um you know, like there are valid criticisms of certain parts of society, even certain actors. People will say, you know, 
George Soros. I don't know if this guy is like good for America. He's wanted in a number of countries, like his home country, I believe. Yeah, right? and for all uh, intents and purposes, the things that he is regularly involved in are not always. You know, in the interests of the countries in which he's involved in, with the they NGOs. never are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll say probably they're never. <laughs> they never are in their interests. And so, if you make those criticisms, though, people will be like, "Well, he's Jewish. Are you an anti-Semite?" That happens all and the time. And it's like, oh, hold on, you don't get to do that. Like, you don't get to shield this guy's bad actions, which are not based really at all on what ethnicity or religion, religious affiliation he has. They're just based on his actions. Um, but people like to weaponize a historical event that happened about 80 years ago-ish uh, to, um, well, it, it's weaponized, but it's used to deceive. So I think Kanye um, is kind of being like a wrecking ball about it. Yeah. And and he is trolling for sure, um, but also I I think, and this is like I've kind of just stayed out of it because I think that the that the whole topic is just it's actually it's still radioactive, but it's becoming less so every single day. I think, um, but and this is where I'll like get it a little less esoteric. In the cycles of, of Western history, every cycle at the very beginning has its founding myth, and it has founding characters, and it has an antagonist, and it has heroes. And we're exiting the previous 80-year cycle right now, from 1940 to 2020. And a new cycle is starting. And so it makes sense, when you take a cyclical view of at least Atlantic civilization's history, that the old paradigm needs to pass so that the new paradigm can sure. come into play. And so, like, I think that's actually what's happening. Like, a symbolist view of things is that people are saying, okay, well, that was good for identifying who the enemy is in this past cycle, but mm-hmm. that doesn't work anymore. Right. Like, you can't be trying to co-brand the good guys with the bad guys of the previous cycle. I think all the it was. Time. I watched a, a a round table and Dugan was at it. There was a lot of philosophers from different countries. A French guy who's debated him before. Henri Levy. Levy. Uh, they were sort of sitting at the table, and Dugan was saying something similar to that. He was saying, "You cannot call me a fascist or a communist because those terms." don't really exist for the the world that were is emerging right they don't those were of the time you're so attached to these ideas that were of this this time in geography really yeah. ge- geographically yeah. um speaking yeah that you can't see that they the new the new global orders that are in competition with each other are not are not um, capital, uh, capitalist democracy versus you know fascist Italy versus uh, national socialist Germany right. or imperial Japan or any of these things are but but so many of these people especially the people constructing the new order of the world 
I'll play the words. Yeah, yeah. Are, are can, they, they rely on 1940 yeah. to 45 or 1937 yeah. to 45. That's sort of that eight-year window of the, the yeah. real rise in that power. Like friend-enemy technology. In order to keep people locked. <laughs> yeah. In, in a fight that they don't actually aren't actually fighting anymore. There's right. n- that fight's over. Right. The I mean, actual neo Nazis number probably a thousand people in this country, and they're like maybe, they're and like a lot fat. of them half of half of them are feds. They're half feds, <laughs> and like the other half are like fat, like morons. You know, they're yeah. not. They're not like remember the Charlottesville thing at the beginning of Trump's presidency with the like, khaki pants. Those yeah. dudes were straight out of the FBI. Yeah, where know? and all their stupid torches. There were a, there were some legit people in there. Sure, sure, but, but of course. The TV I mean, torch. but I don't know. Maybe not. I want to know how many of those people were feds. This is like we're constantly being, you know, Nicky or whatever Smollett. What was that guy's name? Yeah, Nick's Nick Small uh, Smollett. Yeah, or something. All of the, it's always all these racist events that happen, quote unquote, are always fake. Like because. What do you want? That that makes it so that people can't trust you. But they but but the the, the this is the ideological lubrication yeah. for our current regime, right? Is is this distrust of the neighbor, distrust of um, you know people who vote a certain way? It's the only thing that keeps it moving forward now. Yeah, because they have no other credibilities. Yeah, um, but but it's still of an old. It's of a world that doesn't exist anymore. You talked about September 11th. Right. That was really a new world emerged. Yeah. But maybe that was when, really when, 1944 died, was September 11th. That, and it's... I don't know. I think that it, I think that the, the 1940 cycle is ending right now as evidenced by the fact that it's, it's defining myths are being questioned. Like... At a massive, okay. uh, when you say myth, too, it's not this. <laughs> I'm not cla- okay. I'm, let's yeah. clarify too. Let's clarify that because that's, that's not important. to say the Holocaust is a myth. That's no, not I'm what not you're getting that. at. You're saying, listen, I've been to Yad Vashem multiple times. I've seen that. No, 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 I'm, I'm clarifying for the right. listener. Yeah, no, 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 no I know. You know, they, um, the, the founding myth. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> when I use the word found words founding myth, it's it's myth in. It's like Homer. The anthropological sense where it's like, it's the symbolic meaning of of a historical or just a fictional event. So, for example, like Jesus is a mythic character because he goes on this hero's journey. And he also fulfills the role of the, the king who is... Right. sacrificed at the inauguration of a new civilization. And there's always two, you know, there's for us in western civilization, um there's Jesus and Julius Caesar. And uh even at the be- very beginning of the Roman Republic before it became an empire, you had a uh, uh Remus and Romulus. Mm-hmm. So you have the two. If you go back even further for the Greeks, you kind of you have uh the Trojan War, which is the Trojans and the Greeks fighting against one another, kind of like as two brothers. You know, you have Cain and Abel. You have all these examples. Right. But that's the myth, and it defines the beginning of a new city or the beginning of a new age. And in the same way, World War II, and I'm not just talking about the Holocaust, actually. World War II 
has a certain narrative that has been built around it and accepted that has defined how we've interacted in the world since World War II. Like, it created ideal ways of existing in the world. Um, it also created physical realities. It created physical Israel, realities. Israel. Sure. Treaties that established Treaties, landmarks. Yes. And, you know, yeah. Economic realities, philosophical realities, musical realities, like aesthetic realities in general. So these are all attached to the founding myth. Okay, and you can we can point to another one. The Civil War was the founding myth between 1860, the events in the Civil War, where you have friends and enemies, defined America's reality between 1860 and 1940. Um, All the way through there, you think? Yeah. Past the Great Depression, past... For sure, for sure. Between 1780 um, and 1860... Even World War I, though. Yeah, yeah. World War I tweaked the world, though. but you're saying the myth of the myth of this country, yeah, was still a st- was still rooted to civil civil war, war ideas, e- despite, um, you know that that period of turbulence for sure that was World yeah. War One and yeah, I don't think World War One had the same power as the I civil war. I think it war. did for perhaps the myth that Hitler rode to power though that's sure, so sure. so for Germany yeah. and Austria and but even then I don't know if it was the defining myth for them because the the things that made World War 1 possible went back probably to around the 1860s mm-hmm. so but okay so even before the civil war in the United States 80 years before 1860 1780 you have the American cycles. Yeah, you have the American Revolution. Eighty years before that ish, you have uh, what is that? Um, so, well, seventeen hundred. Uh, I think it's ex- actually sixteen ninety to seventeen hundred. You have the Glorious Revolution in in um, England, and then what is it? Sixteen twenty or thirty ish. You have uh, the Great Armada Crisis. And then you have the War of the Roses. So these things are defined by wars and crises. You're not going to slip the Renaissance in there or anything? Oh, no, yeah. You can go all the way back. Or is that just part of the cycle? No, well, those are larger cycles will have uh, their own characteristic where, like, the Renaissance happened in, you know, according to certain theories, like a meta spring. Or, sorry, a meta summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'm not going to get into that. We'll do it. We'll do do a full cast on me. Yeah, we can on The Fourth Turning, which is written by Americans. But um, to go back to the founding myth, yeah, the word myth does not mean fake. This is a modern uh, take on on the word myth. The word myth is is referring to, like, a deep archetypal truth. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we're talking about when we say like that uh, World War II is the defining myth. Uh, just like the Trojan War was the defining myth in many ways for for Rome, right? At a certain point, like in uh, the Aeneid, it's mm-hmm. used as this is our origin story. Yeah, and that's a good way to talk about it. Is World War II is the origin story of this last cycle right. that we're now exiting. And that's, I think, why at the meta level, the, the 
things that were established because of the World War II origin story are now being questioned to allow everyone to enter into the new cycle, which is going to have its own origin story, which is probably going to be surrounded by like a new Bill of Rights, you know, because we had this whole COVID thing where a lot of people's uh, health autonomy was violated and then your freedom of speech like these things are going to get fortified i think oh that's not good <laughs> not good no people need to oh oh that they're going to fortify yeah the the guarantee your freedoms free- exactly okay okay i thought you were talking about sort of the new bill of rights no no, no no hey you don't really have the right to not well, be well yeah well you know? you know the great reset people want to tell you that no we're going to double down on it and take even more of your freedom away but i think that i I just don't. But think what that's, that's what, work. What, what, what's happening is <clears throat> so many people are just checking out of society. Yeah. So it's 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 those people who are going to need those rights. And I say checking out of society. I mean homeschooling. Yeah. By the millions, probably yeah. is, is on the horizon. People are just. Well, as they them, should, as pulling they should. themselves the, out of the institution. Public schools are going crazy. Right no, now. for sure, and that's a discussion on its own. But yeah. just getting out of the institutions, yeah, getting out of the uh, the cultural sectors. Well, okay, decentralization is the massive trend, right? And so, that's what, what is public? Ju- what is public <laughs> education? Public education is centralized education, right? So, what is homeschooling? It's decentralized. Is very true. Yeah, it's just following the trend. And everything is following this trend. And if you want to win, <laughs> you'll ride the wave. <clears throat> right. Right? Rather than fighting it. Anyway. Well, that that's uh that's about all I got for, for that topic. So it's good that it's good that we talked about that though a little bit. Next you know, co- Oh uh, go ahead. Well just you know, just thinking about Kanye West, I, we've reached sort of a point in our uh, absurdities that nothing really surprises me anymore either. Yeah, I wasn't surprised at all. So seeing Kanye West with a mask on next to Alex Jones live stream and with a net and a YooHoo drink. Yeah, just and, and then Nick Fuentes on the side. Yeah, I'm just kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, like that. It ten makes years sense. Ago, ten yeah. years ago, I would have been like, "That's insane, dude." But simultaneously, yeah, it's like, <laughs> like oh, what okay. people were asking. They're saying, "Yeah, it makes sense," but also, <laughs> what timeline are we on? Well, yeah. it's it's just like, yeah, it's like God is just etch a sketch every day, and you're just getting this weird drawing to look at, you know. <laughs> but well, I, I think the clockmaker there is gone. I think God's a little crazy, dude. I, mean, <laughs> I think he's I think he's a little nuts. He's yeah, are just, you, you moving on from Hitchens? Uh, no, I, I was never. I love. I love a lot of what Hitchens has had to say. I, I enjoy his writing, but I'm. I've been off. I've never really been an atheist, so hmm. I'm definitely not an atheist now. I consider myself uh, nominally Christian, hmm. at least understanding that the Christian, the fair, Christian fair worldview enough. is the is the the, the foundation for, for sure. this house we live in. You know, and of course, yeah, um, and Plato. those are fighting words the soul (laughs) oh Oh, my gosh um no but uh but it is it is no you're right you're right that it is that is actually truly our founding myth Hmm. which one 
two thousand years ago. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, our truly our, our our overall everything else exists within that world. Yeah, well, and you know, not to get too into the weeds, but the Jesus passion myth is opposed to Socrates' passion story of the afterworld of the of the well, soul. No, because all the details. Socrates is uh, teaching the youths to question the gods of the city. Jesus is doing the same thing. Right. Well, there are a lot of parallels. I Even Socrates' death. Yeah, with, with a cup. He's, he's stoked to get the cup. Jesus is like, oh gosh, God, if there's any way, can you please remove this cup from me? You know, there's a, there's a rooster involved in both cases. They get offered a way out. Um, which they refused. Right, but Socrates was was in the Stoicism elements. His death was like a Stoic death, whereas Jesus wasn't Stoic. Yeah, he no, wasn't no. like, I've got this. No, he was very much. That's a, that's a big difference. Yes, and I think that's really what makes his death more meaningful is that he's not sure. He has sure. faith. Yeah, but he's not sure what's going to happen. He needs to rely on God. What's more important than that even is the Christ's trek to the desert. Satan's Satan temptation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Milton's paradise regained, mm. sort of, this, the, you can have all of this. Yeah. If anything, it's just a great, it's the greatest parable ever told. Mm. Um, even if it's, you know. It's, yeah, making him worthy of being the one who goes to the cross. You can have Rome, and you can have... Uh, Constantinople. You can have yeah, you yeah. can have every empire you see forever. Yes. Standing upon the ridge, and he says, "I'm, like, I'm cool, man. My kingdom is, you know, not, not, of, the, of, this not of this world." And um, so the ultimate, you know, sort of moment. Yeah. Uh, he's trying to find out if he's really that guy. Yeah. You know, and um, <laughs> that guy. Which is, you know, that's that's sort of where the deviation is, right? It's well, like, you know, I I think that it's actually impossible for Kanye to be anti-Semitic because a, I love this weave <laughs> because he's he's saying that Jesus is king and Jesus was a Jew well, for sure, and everyone needs to remember that. Yeah, I mean that gets into a whole long discussion on well, you know. In you know, in Judaism, they they deny Christ, obviously. Yeah, this is fine. So then there's the you know, then there's this, this. This is their own internal discussion, you know. But no, it's a, it's just a historical fact that he was a Jew. He's Jewish. What do you want? What do you want? What well, you Kanye want? said he's Jewish. He's true. Like, he, <laughs> true. Yeah, that's what he said. We're all Jewish. <laughs> You know, we're all spiritual Jews in a way. We're all wanderers in this <laughs> postmodern, uh, chaotic, nihilistic age. Shout out to Brian. Shout out to Brian. <laughs> <laughs> this one's yeah, for you, Brian. Yeah, he's going to love this one. Uh, all right, so let's tell them, because we've had some requests to do this, and I said, if you want this information, you should Oh, next you week, what we're going to do? What we're going to do? We get back to a book next week, right? Yeah, we didn't have one picked out, but we could do that right now. Do well, we have one picked oh, out? We could. Oh, I thought we were gonna do pause, but yeah, let's. Pick oh, it do up. you want to? Because we kind of touched on it. You want to go into it? Well, that's what I was thinking. But uh, we no. could either do pause or we could do a novel. Even. Yeah. What do you want to do? Do you want to discuss it now? Or we yeah, can, we should uh, say it. We should just we should just look up and see what we got. Like, let's pick something, huh? 
What do you think? Uh, How about that poem, the long poem? You've been talking about... John Brown's Body? Yeah. You want to do John Brown's Body? Sure. I have two copies of that. Yeah, that's why I was saying that. Um, I I can actually... Yeah, I can give you that copy. Cool. Or you can buy it off me, too, if you want. How much? Five bucks. Seriously? Yeah. That's so cheap. All right. (laughs) I'll take it. Um, You got change for a 10? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we'll do that. Okay, we'll do that. All right. John Brown's body next week on American Splash.